The best a fallen creature can hope for is alms. That fate might give one something for free. That chance might ease one's pain and bend life a little bit more to one's liking. However, the gospel offers something that is altogether different, something which is far more valuable. God offers us adoption into His family, liberty from the bondage of sin and death, and a life where we are made new and walk with Him in the joy of truth. Thank you for joining me. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, the Nazarene Stream Preacher, and today we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 3 and understanding that the gospel actually offers us something that is much better than anything the world can give us. You see, we really must be a people who are pursuant of revival. We are wanting to liberate everyone from the ways of the world. All worldly thinking outside of the truth of Christ, it is corrupt and a little bit insane. All the frustrating stuff we see going on in the world, if we want to pull away from that, the only way is to have Christ at the center of our cause, to have Christ at the center of our lives. That is the only way. So today, as we come to Acts chapter 3, I want us to look at what the gospel has to offer us that is better than handouts and how the world wants to leave you as just a beggar who's begging for alms because the world wants to be the one that comes and brings those alms to you. It is quite indeed a vicious cycle. So let's open up in prayer and then we'll get to our message today. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to come together. Lord, as we come to examine Acts chapter 3, I pray that you open up our hearts and minds to receive your wisdom, strength, and encouragement. Lord, bless all of us and let us have joy with you. We ask all of this in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let me look to Acts chapter 3. We find that, empowered by the Holy Spirit, Peter has raised up an evangelistic courage through which the gospel of Christ is thriving. There are many being led to Christ, the sick are being healed, and souls are being entered into the irrevocable liberty that is found with Christ alone. And I'm very particular about the language here. Christ offers us an irrevocable liberty. All notions of freedom that we have, they are built on the Christian principle that you as an individual matter. That you, as an individual man or woman, you deserve to have goodness in life, and that you need transformation out of your sinful ways. You need that call to virtue because you're not good enough on your own. But stepping into that life with Christ, you can find freedom. And the world can't steal that from you. You have to give it up. You have to hand over that ability to think freely and do like Eve did there in the garden and allow the ideas of the world to think for you, to relax your mind into the recesses of nothingness that the world wants for you. But Peter, he is doing something quite different from this. All the times in the gospel we see Peter fail, whether it be rejecting Christ as he is there being condemned to die on the cross, or Peter coming up to Jesus and saying, Lord, forbid it that you would ever die, and Jesus turning to him saying, get behind me, Satan. All the times we've seen Peter have a misstep or a mistake, we now see him truly rise up as that honorable man which Christ called him to be and whom God made him to be. What we find is that here in Acts 3, Peter is illuminating the difference between the way of life and the way of death. And at the core of all issues that we see in society is this push and pull. It is the, the torment between the way of life and the way of death. The world is set on the way of death, where the most one might hope for are some passing alms, like a beggar next to the temple hoping for a handout while people are going inside to pray. Here on the way of death, the wise of the earth, they murderously reject the very author of life. But with Christ, there on the way of life, we find that there is liberty and restoration beyond anything the world can offer or expect. And through this, we are made sufficient to live and walk in the joy of God. 
Peter reminds his audience of a providential fact, that there is a reality beyond what our eyes see. And God's will is near, if only we will set our eyes on Christ. Moses foretold that an ultimate prophet would be raised up from within the house of Israel. Moreover, this prophet was Christ Jesus, who was fully God and fully man. And by the grace of God, the ministry of Jesus gave real responsibility and authority to the church who continue on in the ministry of Christ. We have to really understand what the life of the church is. It is instrumental in the work of the gospel. The ministry of the church is not done in separation of Jesus under some notion that the Christ is dead and no more. Instead, our ministry is done in conjunction with Christ as our living master. And he now sits in heaven and has sent the Holy Spirit to dwell with us who are in his family. And as we're looking at Peter here in Acts chapter 3, and we'll read through Acts chapter 3 here in a moment, we can look there in Peter's letters. And he realizes that there are people who are scoffers out there. There are scoffers who come and they forget that God really made the heavens and the earth and that with the Lord a year is like a a thousand and a day, an hour, a moment is also like a thousand years. And God's patience, God's operations, they are from a broader and truer perspective than our own. And God is looking to do something with us that is so phenomenal. And we are not here just randomly to sit on the sidelines as God does miraculous work. No, we are put on this earth for a time such as this that we might make good on the opportunity we have to serve him. God made mankind in his image, and he made them just and right. Adam and Eve were sufficient to stand, but free to fall. With the gift of will and reason, and both of which contain the opportunity to choose, they chose to serve themselves and not God. And any time we choose to serve anything other than God, we are finding ourselves corrupt. And even when we come in and we twist and contort God, we take his name in vain and we brand things as being godly, which are not, we do find ourselves wasting away our innate design. In Adam and Eve, they spoiled their design and they made the gifts of their design passive. And this rebellion of man was not concluded with the first parents, but made permanent as a curse an affliction that would remain with their descendants without restraint. And as we jump into Acts chapter 3, what we're going to see is that the world wants to keep you begging for alms, not to have aspirations of transformation. Moreover, the world wants you to be so brainwashed into begging for alms that you don't even expect anything else. That your stance that you begin with on the day is that if someone passes by, if fate just happens to deal you a special hand today, that is what you count as a blessing. That your hope, your joy, that it would just be that something unearned would come to you in a gift. And the world, it wants to enslave you in this. Because the world knows if that's how you think, if that's how you get up in the morning, it can be the one who offers you alms, it can give you those handouts, and therefore you will be completely under its control. So let's read Acts chapter 3, shall we? Acts 3 reads, One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And a man lame from birth was being carried in. People would lay him daily at the gate of the temple called the Beautiful Gate so that he could ask for alms from those entering the temple. And he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, and he asked them for alms. Peter looked at him intently and said, as to John, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But then Peter said, 
I have no silver or gold, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. Immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And jumping up, he stood and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And the people who saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him. They recognized him as the one who used to sit and ask for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's portico, and they were utterly astonished. When Peter saw it, he addressed the people, and he said, You Israelites, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us, as though by our own power or piety we made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our ancestors has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and rejected in the presence of Pontius Pilate. And though he had decided to release him, you rejected the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be given to you. You killed the very author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And by faith in his name, his name itself has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given him this perfect health in the presence of all of you. And now, friends, I know that you acted in ignorance, as also did your rulers. In this way, God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, that his Messiah would suffer. Repent, therefore, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah appointed for you, that is, Jesus. Who must remain in heaven from now until the time of the universal restoration that God announced long ago through his holy prophets? Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you from your own people a prophet like me. You must listen to whatever he tells you. And it will be that whoever does not listen to that prophet will be utterly rooted out of the people. And all the prophets, as many have spoken from Samuel to those after him, have predicted these days. You are the descendants of the prophets and of the covenant that God gave to your ancestors, saying to Abraham, And in your descendants all the families of the earth shall be blessed, and when God raised up his servant, he sent him to you first to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. We look at this text and there's a lot to break down. And starting from the very premise of who we are as a people, God made us. God made men and women in his image fully and completely. They have a providential design and a purpose. And an aid to our design is a, a role and an opportunity that we have on creation which is entirely unique. You cannot explain truth, beauty, or any sort of reason without starting from the premise that God made us in his image and there is a created order. That there is a heaven to be admired and a hell to be repulsed. You see, the world wants to tell you that you need to be waiting for alms, just waiting for chance or some sort of random occurrence which might take you from one place to a different place which is slightly better. But that's not the biblical truth. We understand that things like beauty and truth, goodness, they can in fact be defined. Truth itself, it is connected to God, and God alone is the one whose name is truth. When we understand what art is, art is a portrayal of some sort of truth in creation. 
And the more beautiful something is, the closer it is to that truth. And real beauty has standards. It is connected to God and his great goodness. In the same way that an athlete has a goal that they must achieve, that there is a perfection of the human form where one can use their body well. We also find that in the realms of music, that music itself is mathematical and it is as true and fixed as the laws of physics. These things, they are of God's design and they're woven into the great tapestry of his creation. And we must understand that there is something to aspire towards. When God made us, he made us just and right. Adam and Eve, they were sufficient to stand, but free to fall. They had a real will where they could actually love God in return. And you might wonder, what does all of this have to do with a man that is laying lame there in Acts chapter 3? But I promise you, all of this is connected. Because what we find is that God wants to restore us to that perfection which he had in store for us all along. He wants us to return to that providential design. He actually cares if you can stand there on your ankles, as well as having that moral stand to you know, hold against all evil. Adam and Eve were made sufficient to stand, but free to fall. And with the gift of will and reason, both of which contain the opportunity to choose, they chose to serve themselves and not God. Just as those who saw the very author of life, they rebelled against him and demanded a murderer be given to them instead. They spoiled their design. They made the gifts of their nature passive. They took the divine spark within them and crushed it and chose something which was desperate and pitiful. And that rebellion which happened there with our most ancient parents, it was not concluded with them, but made permanent as a curse and affliction that would remain with their descendants without restraint. And what we see here in Acts 3 is this push and pull between the unrestrained evil of rebellion and the upward aspirations of the throne of heaven. The world has situated this man to live in the fall, to live in that state of disrepair. They pick him up and they take him to the temple and set him down. The whole structure of the world has created a system where this man, the best he can hope for is a handout. And that is how the world likes for you to be. They like you to be in that desperate pit where you just hope for a handout. You're waiting for someone to come and give you something. You're not actually looking to live, to thrive, to have that creative production that comes from the very soul and spirit of mankind. You're instead looking to just wait for something to consume. There is something better than life trapped in rebellion, than life that is just waiting for a handout in and on. There's something more than the fallen life surrounded by the pits of desperation. And in this text, Peter reminds those around him how strongly the rebellious nature is still with mankind. Those verses in Acts 3, verses 13 through 15, Peter states, The God of our ancestors has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and rejected in the presence of Pilate, though he had decided to release him. And you rejected the Holy and Righteous One. You asked to have a murderer given to you. You killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. And the same people who did that, who did that rejection of God, who when they could not answer the question of what is true, they killed God, they killed the good. Those are the same people that pick up this man and carry him there next to the temple. That's the same culture. That's the same mentality and the same fallen worldview. It is a worldview of desperation where everything is held in order because all you do is wait for alms. Now, God made us sufficient to serve and love him. 
Moreover, he made us royal creatures, and our original design is indeed to be royal creatures who can enjoy the complete peace, joy, and love as kings and queens of this earth who serve the high king of heaven. However, we spoiled that beauty. And it's quite a terrible thing to, dis to despoil the beauty of God. John Milton, the old English poet, he describes how the gatekeeper of hell, who in league with Satan, she released all things unholy, but then she could not restrain them. The poet writes of the portress of hell by saying, She opened those infernal doors, on whose hinges great harsh thunder that the lowest bottom shook of chaos, but to shut excelled her power. And of course, that's a little bit of a paraphrasing pulling out of Paradise Lost. But the truth in that text is that it is a trite thing to open the gates of hell, to break something, to ruin something, but it is altogether beyond our power to fix things, to close those gates of hell, and to shut the box of Pandora. It is within our power to step away from God, to open up the gates of chaos, to unleash the wretched tyrannies. However, it is beyond our power to repair the damage we have made. It's within our power to kill, but not to resurrect. And as we look here at Acts 3, we are reminded that the best a fallen creature can hope for is alms. Because while this man has a very visible disability, we all have that terrible affliction. We have that attitude of disloyalty which runs through our veins, permeating across time. And that is a terribly crippling state. It is a disease, a parasite in the mind which causes us to reject the good and being satisfied there in a life of evil, misery, and desperation. We must cast the vision of upward aspiration. Scripture has been warning us, you don't look at the throne of heaven with the desire of building a tower of Babel and going up in there and stealing it, but at the same time, you must look at the throne of heaven with the desire to love it, to serve it, and to be refined by it. That that one whose image is that of Jasper and Carnelian, it could change you and transform you and illuminate your life where you are capable of truly living, not merely surviving. To hope for alms is merely surviving. And it's also a very hopeless, nihilistic existence. To wait that fate might give you something for free, that chance might ease your pain and bend life a little bit more to your liking, that all of life might just have this accidental win of the lottery where something gets a little bit better. All of this is desperate, but the gospel offers something which is altogether different. It offers something far more valuable. God offers us adoption into his family, liberty from the bondage of sin and death, a life where we are made new and we can walk with him in the joy of truth. And although we have the power to kill, we do not have that power to restore us, ourselves, to shut the gates of hell. And God has mercifully offered us salvation through which we can be made new. We do not have to remain in the curse, but we can be liberated through the wonderful salvation of Christ. There's a real opportunity to step into the way of life with Christ as one's Lord. And in Acts chapter 3, Peter shows us how there is something much better than alms. And as we close out this, I want us to think about the fact that Christ is Lord and God made good on his love for us in offering us a way of redemption. Those people there in Acts chapter 3, they were surprised and confused that Christ was Lord and that his name had such power, but we should not fall into such deception. Colossians 
chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, read as follows. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is. Seated there at the right hand of God, set your minds on the things that are above and not on things that are on earth. And that is where we're going to wrap up our message today. I thank you for joining me. Again, I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor. This is the Nazarene Stream Preacher. And we must set our eyes on things above and create an atmosphere. We have to have a movement, a vision that says there's something better than alms. There's something better than just hoping for chance. Let us cast that vision of upward aspiration. So, thank you for joining me. Let's close by saying the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. And on that, thank you for joining me. God love you, and have a blessed day.